You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Hello, I'm Gideon Haig, and you're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Um, now, that's talking about yourself a bit, Don Gideon. Let's get into this cricket discussion. I chose some topics to talk about and discuss. And, and the first one, Gideon, seeing that the Ashes are coming up next month, which um, is uh, yeah, not far away, yeah. um, another Ashes series. Uh, we just had the one in Australia a couple of years ago, and now yeah. 2023 in England, they seem to come by very quickly these days. Well, let's talk about the Ashes. The board's forgotten about that series. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the Ashes, Gideon, as I mentioned. Um, rich history, 141 years since 1882. Mm. We all know the one-off test at the Oval, which Australia won by seven yeah. runs, and that started the legend. Uh, Fred the Spoff of Demon, the fast bowler yep. from Australia, got 14 wickets and mm. bowled Australia to victory. And then the sporting times, the mock obituary, the famous words, the body will be cremated and the ashes taken to Australia. Mm. And Ivor Bly, the captain of England, led the team in 1882-83 to Australia and vowed to return to England with the ashes, and he succeeded. Mm. And his wife, Florence Murphy, presented, as we now know as the ashes urn, to him at Rupert's Foot, which is just outside mm. of Melbourne, on Christmas yep. Eve in 1882, as a, as a symbol of love and um a present really because they were in love and they got married soon after in 1884 yes. in February and he's and the urn was kept on the mantelpiece at his home up until he passed away hmm. and at his request Florence gave it to the MCC and Lords where it's been on display I do believe since 1927 or somewhere hmm. around about there um I think the first Australian, he, the first Australian team to actually see it was the 1930 team hmm. she spoke to the team at a at a lunch, I think, at Lords, and inducted them in the legend. I mean, the, there is the, there's the difference, of course, between the symbolic ashes and the physical ashes. Hmm. And people have understood that um, the physical ashes, the, the the symbolic ashes, have been in dispute since 1882, but they haven't had a physical manifestation yeah. until, as you say, Lord Darnley died, and uh, and that urn became the incarnation of uh, of a symbol that already existed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Gideon, that goes on to my question. What makes the ashes so special? Why is it that this rivalry captivates us the way it does? Even people who don't watch cricket say, oh, I hope we mm. do well in the ashes this year. Why is it that this rivalry uh, captivates us the way it does? Well, well, I mean, the obvious first answer is continuity. I mean, you know, it's continued uninterrupted since 1882, apart from two world wars. Uh, there's something about uh, the fact that every modern ashes, every current ashes recalls ashes before. Uh, it's it's not only access to contemporary cricket, it's a, it's a convenient aperture on the past. Uh, the other thing that's um, that's helped it is that it's been relatively even. Uh, both England and Australia have had periods of success. Australia, the greater over the over the duration, but but England sufficient to keep them interested. Of course, it involves two peoples with a very great deal in common, but sufficient difference to uh, to. Uh, um, to nourish the the narcissism of, of of small differences, 
So the, the English and the Australians sort of define themselves in, in contradistinction to the other. A lot of the things that Australians think about themselves are obtained or, 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 or accrete by reference to the English, what we're not, what we are and what we're not, and, and vice versa. So, and, and of course, because we have so much in common, um, I think it was uh, Robert Menzies who said that uh, we have so much in common that we don't have to be too polite around each other. We can actually be quite rude and be confident that, uh, that, that both sides will, 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 will come back for more. Yeah, absolutely. He did love his cricket, Robert mm. Menzies. Um, yeah. Big cricket lover, just like John Howard was um, um, as well. Um, but let's talk about the Ashes, Gideon. Let's talk about both teams. Um, as we mentioned before, the, the last series was uh, claimed by Stuart Broad as a void series, he said, and a lot of people didn't agree with that. Right. Well, but I sort, it's of sort of agree of, with him. <laughs> Having watched it, yeah. It felt Having like watched a... it, he's probably got a point, but I know how mm. some people are. But um, it was one-sided. But since then, England have changed dramatically as a team under new leadership, Stokes and McCullum, and Australia have gone through some change as well. Now, Australia have held the Ashes since 2017-18, and England, the last time they won the Ashes was in 2015 in England. Yeah. Um, so it's been Australia that's been dominating lately, and also the drawn series of, of the last series um, uh, in 2019. But let's talk about Australia first of all, Gideon. Um, they come into this Ashes series with a lack of preparation. That's not a new thing in cricket where you don't play tour matches. You know, the 1948 Invincibles played first-class matches throughout their tour of England and managed to win the Ashes and, and won everything, basically, because yes. they were the Invincibles. They were great. But whereas these days teams don't have that amount of preparation, the only preparation they have is the WTC final, which is next month against yeah. India. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And you can't really treat that as a warm-up, can you? No, you can't. No, it's, it's, no. It's a WTC final. Australia mm. haven't won one, and they would like to add that to the trophy mm. cabinet full of World Cups and T20 yeah. World Cups that we've won over the years and Ashes uh, mm. as well. But they've already announced the squad. So Cummins, Boland, Carey, mm. Green, Harris, Hazelwood, Head, Inglis, Kawaja, Labashane, Lyon, Mitchell Marsh, Murphy, Renshaw, Smith, Stark, and Warner. Now, there's been 11 players who have played in the last series, and Boland, Carey, Green, Inglis, Murphy, Renshaw on their first mm. tour to England uh, this year. Um, as always, Gideon, the squad has created some debate. Um, whenever a squad's selected, no one agrees with the selectors and they think they've got it all wrong. Um, in terms of some question marks over some players, uh, David Warner being the elephant in the room, um, Michael Nessa being stiff to miss out. after. Although he's now been added to the squad, hasn't he? Has he? Sean Abbott, yeah. Um, Just a couple ago. Yeah, um, and... You know, a lot of people were arguing about uh, why Michael Nissa was left out and, and mm. stuff like that. It always Peter crazy. Hanscom too, Peter Hanscom. Um, but I think most of all, probably, I mean, the one that the, the selection that slightly surprised me was Marcus Harris um, as, oh. I guess, the reserve opener in the in the squad. I mean, he's um, we've actually seen plenty of Marcus Harris in, in test cricket. He's never made a, a hundred. I think he's only made a handful of, of 50s. Uh, Certainly, over the last two years, his record compared to Bancroft is is pretty ordinary. Uh, if you drill down a little bit further, you'll find that his record on Test match grounds is nothing to uh, write home about. I'm surprised uh, that um, 
that they've gone back to Harris, who, of course, was there in 2019 and, and made no impression, uh, considering how many first-class runs Bancroft's accumulated over the last couple of years. I suspect they feel a certain loyalty to Harris because they towed him round as the spare batsman all of last summer, thereby limiting his opportunities to, to play any cricket outside of the Test Series. But uh, I'm not sure there's that much upside to, uh, to, to Harris. I, I suspect that he's... We've probably seen... There's a, I think, generally speaking, there's a ceiling for, for players. Um I don't think he averages 40 in first-class cricket. Uh, he tends to make big runs at the junction over, which is very, very flat. I know he's made runs for Leicestershire, but I'm not sure how significant they are. So I was a bit surprised by uh, by that. I, I don't think there was too much to, to argue about with the rest of the squad. I think initially we thought it was probably a couple of fast bowlers short, but with by including Nessa and, and Abbott, they've kind of remedied that situation. There might be a few question marks over Josh Hazelwood, um, who hasn't been, uh, whose who's fitness yeah. has yeah. had a bit of a, a cloud over it over the last couple of years. Ironically, ever since he mastered T20 cricket and became a, yeah. uh, an outstanding T20 bowler, he seems to have had problems with his uh, with his test availability. Uh, but I mean, other than that, it's a it's a bloody good side, um, you know, and it's a reason. It's the it's the it's the number one ranked test team in the world. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I didn't have too many questions about it. I think there are more. It's probably going over over England. Um, and yeah. They played fantastic cricket over the last year since uh, since the change of management. Again, not huge change in actual manpower. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it, it's it's fascinating to see how the change of captain and coach has revolutionised the way in which players approach the game and how easily they were stirred, or how relatively easily they were stirred to play a completely different brand of cricket. But I guess England needs to explore all the options before they finally set, settle on the idea of, um, of playing audaciously. They need yeah. to exhaust the potential for conventional failure before oh. they, they uh, set out in uh, in pursuit of unconventional success, absolutely. So, who do you think is going to be important for Australia with the bat and with the ball, Gideon? Um, because up against this England side, you, you don't know what's a good score because they can be unpredictable. They can yeah. score five hundred runs in a day, like they did against Pakistan at Royal Pindi on a very yeah. flat surface. Yeah, very flat. Very um, flat. But it depends on conditions as well. But who do you think is going to be vitally important with the bat for Australia and with the ball? Um, in this series, if they are going to have success against England, who are um, playing some good cricket at the moment? Well, I mean, Labuschagne's been incredibly reliable uh, since 2019, uh, and he's got—he's not made a Test century in England, and I'm sure he's going to set about remedying that this uh, this summer. Uh, I think he's—I I, I think batsmen who make nut runs at number three. Uh, it's probably more important that you get runs from your number three than basically anyone else in the order because it's kind of the, the spinal column of, uh, of of every batting effort. That's why, generally speaking, the best batsman bats at uh, number three or the best all-round player. Um, not sure that Labuschagne would be completely satisfied with what he's done in the last year, although he's maintained consistency. I don't think he's been as outstanding as he was a couple of years ago, but I'm sure he'll 
look to uh, to, to set that to rights. He already is in uh, in, in county cricket. Uh, I'll be interested to see how Travis Head goes. He's reinvented himself completely since 2019, when of course he lost his his spot. He's become this kind of counterpunching middle order player who can take the game away from you in an hour. Uh, Strady will be hopeful that he can reproduce that form in England. Um, but I think his overseas record is not great. Um, so he needs to, uh, to to step his game up to, uh, to, to another level. Uh, Cummins has uh, had a poor tour of India. Of course, I think there were all sorts of personal considerations where, where Cummins was concerned. I think it's very difficult to be a fast bowling captain in India, oh. particularly on pitches like the ones that yeah. were rolled out by the, by the BCCI. Uh, I'm not surprised that Steve Smith actually did a good job as a locum. I think it's a, it's a batsman captain country. Uh, India, uh, and I did think that that Cummins was was below par, but you know over the last five or six years, day in day out, he's justifiably the world's number one bowler. He's a huge asset, and um, he has the potential to, uh, to to lead by example. So they're probably the the three crucial players. Uh, Kawaja, of course, has been the acme of consistency over the last few years. Doesn't have a great record in England, but um, but you have to say he's probably playing the best cricket of his uh, of his of his life at the moment. Uh, Nathan Lyons, a banker. Uh, Mitchell Stark, I think, has more value to offer just simply because left-handers, fast, seriously fast left-handers are very rare in, uh, in international cricket. Um, didn't get a great look in in 2019, but I think he should always be in Australia's first 11, just simply because of the variety he introduces to that attack. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about England briefly. Uh, they haven't announced their squad as yet. They, have, they, they, did they did overnight. I thought that was only for the uh, for the island test. I don't think that was for the I think it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty good indication of their thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. With, By um, the squad know, that they selected for the uh, one-off test against Ireland, you would think that could be the likely squad for the Ashes yes. yeah. uh, next month. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's such a, a strong unit when it comes to bashing and, and bowling. Everyone has their own opinions about basball. Uh, you know, the one who's probably struggled the most is Ben Stokes himself. He hasn't really fired at all. He's only averaging 36 during this run. 36 sounds pretty bloody good to me. Well, that's that's not uh, bad, but yeah. he hasn't. Some people have said he hasn't been quite at his best. Maybe trying a little bit too hard and probably being over. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe individually. But the example that he sets um, is so. It's soulful. such a. It's such a. It's such a difference, isn't it? Yeah. A breath of fresh air. You know, to I mean, be positive and bold and. Yeah, I mean, I can remember. Yeah, John Arlett had this argument that Mike Brearley should be considered an all-rounder. Because he bought you a reasonable opening batsman, good slip fielder, and a captain. I think Stokes, you can now say, is an all-rounder and include his captaincy as a as a facility. Uh, you know, the, the the correlation between his promotion and England's success is 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 so profound. Uh, uh, the player who I think has doubts over his head is Zach Crawley, um, you know, who looks great when it works, but uh, but. Boy, oh boy, he can be made to look very ordinary by by good new ball bowling. Uh, and interestingly, they haven't. You know, they're now talking about the potential for Stokes to to open the batting. 
Um, that seems a very strange yeah. kind of uh, idea to, uh, to to float. It suggests that they do have some doubts about Corley's ability to last the series. Uh, there's a very good opening batsman out there in Ben Compton, who to me looks like a very good long form player, but he doesn't necessarily fit in with the uh, with the overall philosophy. I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't get a Guernsey in uh, in in that squad. I'm also a bit disappointed that they've left Ben Folks out, uh, who I thought was bloody outstanding. Um, you know, everything I've seen of Folks suggests that he's a test quality player, and to simply include Johnny Bairstow at number seven, I don't think you're going to get your best value out of Johnny Bairstow at uh, at, at number seven, are you? No, he's best suited. You know, towards up the order, like yeah, yeah. Um, like last summer, he was very productive. Yeah, and I but think look, they had folks in the side as well last summer I as well. Look, I guess you could say embarrassment of riches, hmm. but uh, that's still an embarrassment, um, and uh, I think that's potentially problematic. Uh, yeah, the fast bowlers, of course, we know that no, no, Jofra Archer won't be featuring this summer. No. I never be expected him to play any yeah. more than one test at best. So perhaps it's best to remove that that question straight yeah. away. Mark Wood to me is very, very important to England. You know, he just takes that game, just takes the game up a knot. And even out here in 2021-22, you could tell that some of the Australian players didn't really like it. Didn't, weren't completely, were never completely comfortable. No, weren't, weren't convincing against him at times, no, yeah. No. Um, he bowled well in the last test in Hobart. On that. Yeah, he bowled fantastically, yeah. yeah. And he's just a great guy to have around. You know, he's clearly... He gives it 100%. Um, yeah. Yep. You know, every time he bowls. And, and that's what you need in the team, and that's what England need, yeah. that, that bit of difference with pace. That's yep. why they tend to struggle in Australia because they don't have mm. bowlers who can bowl out and out. Yes. But he can. Um, so they're going to be interesting to watch, but it's going to be exciting. As Stokes and McCollum said, we want to bring people back to Test yeah. cricket, make it exciting. That game that they played against New Zealand, yeah. they lost by one wicket, was pretty mm. exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, a few months back. So, yeah. who do you think is going to win, Gideon? Your predictions? If Glenn McGrath was here, he would have said five 0 to Australia, as always. Um, who do you think is going to win this series? Well, I think. Um, uh... I think, I mean, I, I never make predictions and I never will, as they say. Uh, there'll be five results. Both these teams play result cricket unless weather intervenes. I mean, you, know, you can never be guaranteed that weather won't intervene in at least one, but that'll be the only reason why a game um, doesn't end up with a, with a positive outcome. I think both teams, interestingly, in 2019, demonstrated a good deal of resilience, you know, um, they both came back from from losing um, and and squared the series up. I think that Stokes has um, and 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 Australia have both shown an aptitude for coming back from adversity. So I, I find that encouraging. I, in previous series, I've sometimes felt that the the first test has kind of carried the series. That, that teams have have struggled to recover from uh, fr from early blows, but I don't think that'll be the case this summer. Um, I think obviously it's anyone's game and that it'll be strongly influenced by injuries, but I suspect that Australia will win. Um, uh, I think Australia probably to come out 3-2, let's say 3-2. And wouldn't that be great 
if we went to the oval or square and uh, and australia um and it's both england and australia had a chance so let's say three two to australia um i just think they're a bloody good unit um I think they're well led. I think they're well coached. Um, they'll leave nothing to chance. Uh, but you know, frankly, you can adjust those settings after every test, depending on who's available. Um, and I think you know, over, over the last ten years, availabilities have had a huge influence on uh, on outcomes. Uh, yeah. So that's about as much as I'm probably prepared to say on that subject. But I'm very, very much looking forward to it. And frankly, if what's going to happen, I'd feel no need to go. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's going to be an exciting series nonetheless, and um, it's going to be some late nights for most Australian fans like myself uh, watching uh, the team go about their business. Let's talk about Hi, everyone. Hope you enjoyed listening to Gideon and I talk about the Ashes. If you want to listen to Gideon's cricket podcast, etc., etc., with fellow cricket writer Peter Laylor, the links to that are in the description of this episode.